Welcome to the King's Chapel Podcast. You are about to hear another inspirational message from our lead pastor, Matt Schmidley. It's our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9. We started almost a year ago um, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and as we've gone through this year, we've gone through uh, uh, the birth of, of Jesus, the beginnings of his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew recorded different accounts dis- uh, displaying his authority. And now we kind of reach a new section um, here at the end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10 uh, here this morning. So before we get into that, though, um, I grew up, as a lot of you know, just down the highway here in Mount Vernon, Missouri, a little uh, rural town. And a lot of my friends lived on farms or had family members who lived on farms. And so one of the normal uh, rites of passage for for young men in rural areas was hauling hay. Anybody else ever hauled hay besides me? Yeah. I hauled hay one time. Uh, one time. I uh, Yes, it was enough. <laughs> That's where we're going with the story. Yes. Um, there was a, a family in our church who they had, they had a farm, they had cattle, they had a lot of land, and, and uh, they, there was an issue that had happened. The hay was cut, and then it had rained, and then it was, and you've, you've got to do it just right. You've got to, the hay can't be wet, or it can't be this or that, and so what ended up happening was that there was a lot of hay that had to be brought in in a short amount of time by just a few people. You can already tell this is a recipe for disaster. Um, and the day that we had to do it, the only day that we had, because it had to get done, was on a Sunday. We went to church in the morning, um, had service, then we went over to their house, and they fed us lunch, and then uh, all of us put on our work clothes, and we headed out to, to haul hay. And I, I don't remember how many of this there was or how big it was. I think we did like 800 square bales in, in just a few hours. And I remember, you know, I played sports and, you know, been at football camp and you know, where you're running and you feel like you're going to throw up and all this wonderful stuff. This was like that times two or times three. I mean, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to pass out. I mean, it was, it was the most physically demanding and exhausting thing we'd ever done. It was one of the few times in my life I can remember skipping church because the, the evening service, we had an evening service because it was like, the hay has to get done. It's got to get done. There's just you know, as the, it says in Scripture, you know, when the, your ox falls into the ditch, that's kind of the, where we were. And so we've we got to get the hay in. It's just, it's got to happen. And I remember going home, my feet hurt, my legs hurt, my hands hurt, my arm hurt, my back hurt. I was exhausted. And I would like, never again. There, there is not enough money. I did not get paid enough to do this. I, I've never been this exhausted in my life. But... That is the nature of the harvest. Is that when the harvest is ready, there is an urgency. It's got to get done. Everything else has to be put to the side. And so Jesus is about to explain to his disciples that the harvest is ready. He's about to send them out among the communities and the towns and the villages of Galilee. He's about to send them out and saying, the harvest is ready, the work needs to be done, 
the time is urgent. So Matthew chapter 9, we're going to pick up at verse number 35. And this will begin kind of a four-week series within Matthew that we're calling The Harvest. It's Jesus' instructions to his disciples before he sends them out among these towns and these villages to do the ministry that he's called them to. This is recorded in the other uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew and or, uh, Mark and Luke especially, but they're both given a much shorter treatment. Matthew gives us the full version. And as Jesus instructs his disciples, here's one thing we're going to notice, is not all of the instructions that we're going to see are rosy and happy and cheerful and encouraging. He's going to speak straight with them about the nature of the harvest. So Matthew chapter 9, pick up at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the picture is this. Jesus is going throughout the towns and the villages of of Galilee, and he is being mobbed. There are crowds everywhere he goes. They've they've heard about him. They've heard of of the the stories. They've heard of the, the dead who had been raised, the blind who had been healed, the miracles that he'd done, and they are just mobbing him. They are hurting people. People in desperate need of anything from God. And Jesus is showing up to a people who are not saying, ah, we got it all together. We're good. We're okay. Times are good. The crowds are coming around him. And Jesus' heart goes out to them. And as we read between the lines of these words, what's going on? Jesus is bound at this point by his, his humanity, by his physical limitations. He can only be one man in one place, at one time, doing one thing. And the need is too great for him and the physical limitations that he had. I mean, if you think about my experience with hauling hay, what what would have made that job a lot easier? More help. Yet we would have had double, triple the amount of people that would have been, I mean, this is like easy. And Jesus sees the crowds and his heart goes out to him. And he tells his disciples, the harvest is ready but there's not enough help. Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, keep your finger there at Matthew chapter 10. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. Because this phrase where Jesus says that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd is an important idea and phrase as we see the Old Testament unfold. If you don't remember The book of Ezekiel was written to the nation after, and as they were going through their period of of the fall of Jerusalem and going into exile. And Ezekiel is really writing from the perspective of Babylon, looking back toward the nation. And everything was in shambles. Everything had fallen apart. The nation had failed to live up to what God had called them to as a nation. They were corrupt. They had corrupt leaders. They followed after idols. They didn't follow what God had for them. 
Listen to the words in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have fed yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the earth with none to search or seek for them. So Isaiah is prophesying over the the rulers of, of the nation, the shepherds of the people, and saying, you didn't do the job that a shepherd is supposed to do. You were, you were a king, you were a priest, you were a leader, and you did it for yourself. You fed yourself and not the sheep. You looked out for yourself and not the sheep, the lost. You didn't go after the wounded. You didn't bind up. And now they are scattered. And you get the picture of what Matthew was saying when Jesus looks out over the towns of, of Galilee and sees the crowds. And in a sense, they're still scattered. They're still like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, they've been gathered back from Babylon and they've been settled back in there, but they're still waiting for the shepherd. Look down at verse number 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, look look at the repetition here. I, I myself, if if you're not clear here what God is trying to say, he's putting all the emphasis on himself. I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as the shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabitants in the country, and I, you get the point here? I think we can stop. God's saying, I'm going to get my people. I'm going to shepherd them. I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to clothe them. I'm going to feed them. And Jesus looks out over the crowds and says they're, ha- they're, like, they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And now the good shepherd has come. Now he is going to bring them in. If you look over, if you make a note, one look at it later in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah has a very similar prophecy. And at the end, it's extremely messianic. He's going to raise up a branch from David who will rule with righteousness and justice. You can see specifically this, this shepherd will be none other than the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. He will be the shepherd of his people. But now there's work to be done. The harvest is ready. You walk into a town and people 
They're just, they're waiting. They're hungry for Jesus. They, they crowd him. And Jesus is about to send out his disciples to these towns, about to multiply the ministry, the harvest. He's about to send them out as these workers. So look at me. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10 now. Matthew chapter 10. And he called to him, his 12 disciples. So he's going to send them out as workers in this harvest. And gave them authority. We've been, if you remember, if you've been around, we've been seeing that word that Jesus had all authority. He's giving that to his disciples. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So they're going to go do what Jesus did. They're going to be compassion to the people. Jesus healed. The disciples are going to heal. Jesus cast out devils. The disciples are going to do this. The shepherd is here. And the sheep are going to be made whole. And the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Notice here, Matthew doesn't tell us that they go out two by two. We see this in other accounts. But you notice that he gives the names here in pairs. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them. So here's where over the next four weeks, we're going to look at Jesus's instructions to his disciples. And here's what we're going to see this morning. Jesus is going to talk to them about where they're supposed to go, about what they're supposed to take with them, and about what they're to do, whether they're accepted or rejected. So what's the common theme here? What's the common theme with among these three things which seem to be separate? And I think the common theme is this. I think that it's urgency. The urgency of the harvest. So now he instructs them. Go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no towns of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the first thing that Jesus does is he instructs them where to go. The wording is, is a little bit subtle, but you'll notice that he doesn't say, go, don't go to Gentile people per se, but don't go to their town. Stay in the towns of Jerusalem. We see that Jesus had already been to, to Syria. His, spread had, his fame had spread to the Decapolis. We certainly see at the end of Matthew that he's calling them to um, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. So why is it here that Jesus is saying, only go to the towns of Galilee. Well, first of all, we certainly know that Jesus claims, and we see it, that, that the apostles, especially Paul, they would go first to the Jew when, they, when Paul went to a, a city, first to the synagogue, and he would preach there, and then to the Gentile. And we understand that God's chosen people, that Jesus came first for them, the message was first for them, not, not in terms of importance, but in terms of chronology. It was to go to them first, to the Gentiles second. So he's sending them first. But also if you notice, and we've got a little map here for those of you map people. The Galilee is the region in the red. So in one sense, he's trying to keep them close. Um, they're at the northern edge. That sea in the center is the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum just to the north of the sea would have been their, their home base. And so Jesus, there's a lot of territory to cover, but now's not the time to go everywhere. Go simply to the region of Galilee, stay within there. But how is it that Jesus could call his disciples first to go to the Jew, 
later to the Gentile. Again, keep your finger there, but turn over with me to Romans chapter 2. All right, Romans 1 and then Romans 2. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. Give your own sermon on these two passages. But it's one of those passages that, or verses that the first time you read them doesn't really make any sense until you break it down a little bit more. But Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, if you've been in church, you're familiar. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now to chapter 2, verse number 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, first or uh, the Jew first, and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. At first reading, that's kind of a strange passage, you know, to the Jew first, then to the Greek, for God is, it does not show partiality or favoritism, and you're like, well, what was that that just happened then? Uh, wasn't, that, wasn't that favoritism? Wasn't that partiality? And what we see is that it goes both ways. To whom much is given much is required. To those to whom the law was given, those to whom faced the discipline as a nation of exile and and being brought back, to them, the message of salvation was rightfully declared first. Because they had borne the blessings of God and they had borne the discipline of God. And so Paul points out here that For the Jew and the Greek both, whether they do good and serve God or do evil and don't serve God, the Jew first and then the Greek, God doesn't show favoritism. So Jesus is sending out, back to Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out among his disciples into these cities, first go to the towns among the Gentiles. So what does that mean for us here today. We're looking at the words of Jesus, his instructions to his disciples. We we read that and we understand what he's doing. But at some point we have to take the message and we have to say, okay, well, where do we fit into this story? What does Jesus do and say that applies to us? And so Jesus is sending them out and saying, go. I think in a sense, go quickly. There's a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are sheep without a shepherd. And we as believers many times can let the details of life keep us from entering into the work of the harvest. And we can let location be an issue, right? We can say, well, you know, God has called John and Stephanie to go to Tanzania and to reach people. And so they're going to go to Tanzania. I don't even know if Tanzania is this way. Yes, no, this way. John, God has called them to go to Tanzania, right? East? There we go. He's called them to go to Tanzania. He's called them to work in the harvest field. And one day, maybe God will call me to go to Tanzania. And one day when I get to Tanzania, I'll get there and I'll work in the harvest field. And Jesus' words to us are, the harvest is plentiful in Tanzania and right here in Springfield. The harvest is plentiful. Don't let geography get in the way. Don't let location get in the way 
There is an urgency. There are people who live on my street who are lost. There are people who live on your street that are lost. There are people who sit in the next cubicle over from you who are lost. The harvest is here. And let's not get in a place where, because of location, we step out of the work of the harvest. And so Jesus continues. We pick up at verse number 8, and he tells them what they're going to do. Or sorry, verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom, the king is here. We saw this especially in the Sermon on the Mount before. The king is here. John proclaimed this. It's, it's so close that it's, it's within an arm's reach. It's right, right there. The king is here. They're going and they're preaching and they're proclaiming the king. The kingdom has come. It's close. It's at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. You have received without paying. Give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So now he's instructing them on what they are to take. They're not supposed to take the, the, what would really be the normal provisions for a journey. These are the things that somebody, if, you know, if you're going on a trip... In our day today, you go and you get your suitcase and you go and you get this and you go and get your shots if you're going overseas and you get your passport. Jesus is saying, don't worry about all that stuff. Just go. It's urgent. Just go. And when you get there, don't go around doing this for money. Because freely you have been, you have been given, freely give in return. And then at the end, Jesus says that the worker deserves his wages. So what's going on here? What's going on is that in their day, in their culture, a teacher, a, a speaker, a philosopher, a whoever in that type of field would charge for their services. So you want to, you know, you, you go in and you want to hear somebody philosophize, you've got you got to pay the ticket and you got to get that, get, get in. So if somebody showed up at, at your city and you're in this little village and somebody showed up, but they said, I'm a, I'm a teacher or I'm a whoever, it would be expected. Before you hear what they say, you got to pay up. And Jesus is saying, Let's not, we're not going to get caught up in the finances here. You're going to go and proclaim. You're going to go and preach. You're going to go and tell people. Because the money will take care of itself. The provision will take care of itself. For the laborer deserves their wages. There was a, an instruction in uh, a document called the Didache, which was kind of a collection of teachings, one of the earliest extra-biblical collection of teachings from like very early church fathers. And it was, it's funny, they've got this, this collection of the saying about uh, itinerant prophets who would travel around, and they would say this, if they stayed, they could stay one day, they could stay two days, but if they stayed three days, they were a false prophet. Um, or if they asked for money, they were a false prophet. So, so this is the early church. So a prophet shows up, and they're like, hey, we're going to, I'm a prophet, we're going to, you know, do some prophesying here. And, you know, they, they could stay two days, um, and they couldn't ask for money. But if they were a freeloader, at that issue in their day, just like we do in our day, the freeloading prophet who comes and sets up residence in the house, and, hey, give me some money to prophesy, they're like, kick him out. He's a false prophet. He stays, he stays the third day. 
he's, uh, he's false. And so this is kind of what Jesus, you know, maybe where some of this comes from. But Jesus is telling his disciples, go and proclaim. And don't make this about money. Don't make it about money. Go and proclaim that the king is here, that the kingdom is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. And don't make it about money. So you read this and you think to yourself, well, that's all well and good, but so does that mean that, you know, we we don't pay pastors or pay people who are in ministry? And that's a good question, one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, So you catch this phrase here that, that Matthew records of Jesus at the end of verse number 10. For the laborer deserves his food. Now, Luke, or Luke, uh, Paul picks up on a similar phrase, not the exact phrase. So it's over in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to come back to Matthew 10. Turn over to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Pick up at verse number 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those whose labor is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So on the one hand, Jesus tells the disciples, when you go out, don't ask for money because a laborer deserves his wages. And Paul, on the other hand, tells, as he writes to Timothy, make sure that the elders Uh, The preaching and teaching elders are paid because a worker deserves his wages. So, which is it? The issue really, if you'll notice, is a matter of perspective. To the disciples in Jesus' day, and to the people who serve in ministry, the command is this. Don't make it about money. Don't go seeking after money. Don't withhold your ministry waiting for money. Don't tell people that you only preach if you get money. Don't tell people that you only pray for them if you get money. To the one who is the minister or the one who is an elder, preaching or teaching elder, the word is don't make it about money. Now, when Paul writes to to Timothy, he's addressing the church. And he's saying, all right, you church people, make sure that the people who serve among you are provided for or compensated. And uh, just in case there's any confusion, praise God, I, that's not an issue here. Uh, we, are, we are well compensated for what we do, and, and we consider it a blessing and a joy. Uh, but that's what's going on here. If you look at it and say, well, which one is it? Well, it depends on your perspective. How off-putting or maybe even sinful would it be for someone in ministry to come and say, I will only do what I do if I get paid X? And that's the issue. And so it works well together. So Jesus is sending out his people. So for us, we're called to the harvest. And remember this. When you submit yourself to God, Lord of the harvest, send out workers into your harvest and let me be one of them. Remember that you might not get out of it what you put into it. It might cost you more than what you receive back. It might not be a way to get ahead, both financially or relationally 
or through the ladder and stepping your way up, it might not get you there. But Jesus said, don't worry about that, for the, the laborer deserves his food. Now pick up at verse number 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon you, or come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than in that town. So Jesus has instructed them on where to go, on what to take and what to do about provisions, and now what happens when I get there? Those instructions, and there's, there's a lot of uh, exegetical and theological ink that has been spilled over the exact precise meaning of all these phrases, and what does it mean if you, you know, you're peace and it returns to you and all this. But the point is, is well enough to get, right? If you go into a town and are received, then minister there. And if you go into a town and you're not received, then shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next. In fact, the idea is, you know, it's this town is under the judgment of God for rebelling against God, not believing in his word. I don't want to even bring its dust with me when I go. I don't even want to take, I don't want anything to do with this place. Why? Not because you hate them, but because they're under the judgment of God. What does Jesus say? These towns, you think about this. The towns that had the apostles themselves sent to them who rejected Jesus in response to the apostles' teaching, that's a serious rejection. You can think about in our day, you know, sometimes people are just not going to understand, or maybe they didn't have an adequate presentation of the gospel or all these things. And, and Jesus says to these people, that the disciples have come, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah, better uh, for Sodom and Gomorrah than it was for them. Again, I think the issue here is urgency. The harvest is ready. You get to a town and they're like, we don't want anything to do with you. Get out and go. Go to the next one. Find someone who was receptive to the message of the kingdom. And that's good, a good word in our day, too. There are a lot of people who are receptive to the gospel. Now, am I saying that you go to somebody and you share the, the gospel with them once, and then they say no, and then you forget about them and go on, and you never, ever talk to them again about it? That's not, I don't think that's quite what Jesus is saying. But what he's saying is this, the harvest is ready. There's somebody who's going to listen. There's somebody who's receptive. There's somebody whose heart has already been prepared before you get there. Find them. Find them quickly. Keep looking. Keep seeking. Keep talking to people. Keep praying for people. Keep going. You're going to find somebody who the harvest, their their heart is ready for the message of Jesus. And if someone says no, our hearts are broken for that. But you know what happens. You you build up the courage. All right, I'm going to share Jesus with somebody, right? And then you go up and you you talk to them about, about God, share the gospel with them, and they say no or they reject you harshly, what happens? Never doing that again. (laughs) That was no fun. But what Jesus is saying is keep going, keep going, keep going. What we as believers and we as a church have to hear from the words of Jesus today 
is that the harvest is ready. And the work to do is urgent. And we can't let any excuses of geography or finances or rejection get in our way. The harvest is ready. This morning, if you are here and you're away from God, when he says the harvest is ready, he's talking about you. Maybe there are some here this morning that God has prepared your heart for this time to receive the message of salvation, to come to him, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and to find mercy and forgiveness. For others of us who are believers, this has to be our prayer. The harvest is plentiful with the laborers. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the harvest. Help us to see the harvest in our city. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Quicken our feet and our hands to do the work. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I need to ask, is there anyone among us who it's true of you that you're far from God and that Jesus has prepared your heart for today and you need his forgiveness? You need to put your faith in him. You need to confess and repent of your sins. You need eternal life. If that's you, while well, no one's looking around, God has appointed this day for you. This is the day of salvation. This is the day coming. Nope.